Hello, SE land. This is Twig, Twig's SE Reflections podcast, episode number 60. Episode number 60 of a podcast meant to give encouragement and bits of insight, a little accompaniment to somatic experiencing practitioners, students, people worldwide who are studying the psychobiological literature and Peter Levine's somatic experiencing work. This is an unofficial twig, off the top, off the cuff, somewhat improvisational, usually almost completely improvisational. Thoughts and Reflections, it's a gratitude project I'm given back to people who have given to me and uh, trying to pass it on a little bit. What I wanted to come in and talk about with you today, episode 60, is a, I don't, I don't know, I'm going to get into this, how am I going to say this? I think I just come out and, and name something that I often talk with, with people. This happens in consultation or just my friends, definitely definitely had these conversations with a lot of my friends when I was going through my training and then the deepening of my appreciation of this work. Also, I have this uh, conversation just with uh, students and people that I chat with sometimes. And it's, it's this notion, am I a fraud? Like, or is, is this stuff for real? You know, the, the, the notion and, and the whole SE thing, like, does, does feeling my body experience does asking people to feel their their felt sense experience in this very kind of discreet and delicate intentional um but at the same time free-flowing kind of way very curious kind of attitude to our experience and yet somewhat protective of making sure that the signals are pendulating and and oscillating between the expressions of you know things that contract and things that relax at a very basic level. And is that, is that real? Will that change a person's life? Will that help their autonomic nervous system become more self-regulating and, and something that they can lean into more readily and easily and relax their intentional vigilance for maintaining the well-being in their life? Is, is it true that that our organisms can be more at ease in themselves and we can get there by, you know, tracking our somatic experience. Is that, is that baloney or horse feathers? It's kind of like, it's like poppycock kind of stuff. You know, it's a bunch of hooey or is it just BS or, and if it's not, you know, um, what, what's it take for it to to be not just something that we know that this is legitimate it's not a ginzu knife kind of thing you know it it continues to cut sharp the more and more you start to understand the influence of psychobiological state on people's behavior the more you start to understand the autonomic nervous system map of activation through the various different neuroceptive phases as as you know, attributed by the perception of danger relating, correlating to activities of fight and flight behavior and physiological states that, that support that under duress and also do those same kinds of things when elicited in daily life. In other words, they're tied together. The neuroception of danger 
initiates the sense of fight flight kinds of behavior. The sense of fight flight kinds of behavior goes along with physiological states that reinforce the sense that something's wrong, et cetera, et cetera. It's just kind of a big chronic cycle, right? But then it, it goes further than that. There are other elements to the maps. And the more you start to appreciate the accuracy of those and how, how mammals, how mammals like you and I, humans too, how it is that we were influenced by these kinds of things. And fortunately, I think it's very fortunate that these people, lots of people have added to it. I think Peter Levine has a bit of a watershed parts, many, many watershed moments. Lots of other folks have been doing all kinds of crazy stuff and helping us to understand these things more and more. And so we can actually understand and we can get reference to the idea that this isn't a Genzu knife. There's been a lot of heavy lifting and thinking behind this work. And there's a lot of accessible information about why it works and how it works. And, and you can find that that's available. It's in books and videos and demonstrations and your own experience. And yet, you know, we can know those things and we can know that it's not, you know, just horse feathers, but then it, it can also still feel like maybe, maybe then I'm a fraud. Like I don't really understand how to do this because while we know it should work, we, we can often end up, I think a lot of folks do end up wondering how do I make it work? Or I used to be able to make it work and now I can't make it work. Or there were times as I've been going through this, that it really made sense. And now at times it doesn't make sense. And then I wonder if I don't know what I'm thinking about or talking about, or I don't know really what the next thing to do is. And, you know, with it is just, just this real feeling of like, this is strange. I'm asking people to, to do something that they're not already intending to do. They maybe come and want to tell me about their feeling state or their problem state or the causation or the, the, the person responsible for their issue. They, they might be wanting to tell you about kind of the, the metaphors inside of it or the, the findings or the, the chronology that there could be all kinds of explanations and expectations that our clients might have even real needs. They have expressed pain or repetitive feeling states that they can't seem to get out of or, or image states that could be just so many subcategories of elements that kind of come in to make the difference between what it is that we're asking, proposing, offering to our clients and these kind of somatic experiencing style investigation questions, these turns of attention that maybe turn the attention to the body or, Hey, you know, can you see what that looks like right now? Can you, can you kind of essentially drop into the image of what you're talking about? There could be all kinds of quote, somatic experiencing kinds of reference points and conversational topics that we could be introducing regularly to people who might not be, um, how to say, anticipating those thoughts and those notions and might not have a lot of experience with those. It can feel unnormal. It can feel odd, right? Well, if it does feel odd and it doesn't work, you know, maybe 
it adds to a sense of feeling maybe like this is fraudulent or a waste of time. You know, there's maybe like there's like an intersection somewhere in the the planes of existence between our skill set, our library of experience, and the kind of ability we have to shift between different ideas and mental modes and interventions inside of our therapy. So our, there's our skill set, and then there's the like who our clients are with all of their various different reflections and representations about what's going on for them psychobiologically, not to mention what their character, what their personality might be asking you in the moment to help address where you might in fact be seeing the desire to establish more nervous system self-regulation underneath the immediate concern or topic of the day. It's a, it's a kind of balance of some weird, strange thing between what we can do and what our clients expect and how we try to get what we're trying to do across to them. And maybe there's a certain kind of pacing and a certain kind of development by which we expand our range of communication with people about this work and slowly gather up the skills by which we can redirect people's attention toward the opportunities found inside of tracking the felt sense in this kind of way. And, and I'll just say for, for those of you in worry about it, you don't come over that overnight. I mean, I don't know many people who do. You do come over new solutions overnight. You do come over new opportunities overnight that, that often is very nice often give the impulse, the feeling, oh, now I can do it so much better than I could do it before this workshop. As an example, you go to a workshop and you learn some new techniques and now you go home and you feel just that much more competent because you can apply that many more different techniques or ideas or, or interventions inside of your work to steer things just a little bit more accurately and it feels, oh, really empowering and that's great. And yet you will then kind of integrate that skill just to name out the sequence of course of what happens is we integrate that skill and then we we use it just just fluidly or maybe it gets dropped by the wayside poor attention doesn't get reinforced enough that could happen too we have to relearn it but more or less when we're truly learning and integrating things we we learn it we're able to use that thing and now we're dealing with problems at a more challenged state that will then be looking for yet more skills and more integration between our various different skills to accommodate more different kinds of situations, which we'll now be able to experience more readily because we'll have helped somebody get through something that we have now apprehended or learned how to do that skill for. Whatever that is, inviting the person's attention into their body without them saying, I don't like it, or without them saying, I don't feel anything. And those two, those two are big stopping points that if you learn how to make sure that when you're asking the person about what they feel, whatever they're going to feel is not going to be in the category of, I don't like it, but instead going to be in the category of at least, okay, it's there or, okay, I don't, you know, it's like, yeah, it's not on the, it's not super pleasant. It's more, you know, maybe neutral or maybe even you're trying to follow into the body experience from that more pleasurable side of things as 
is so readily found out in the whole array of how it is that we're trying to talk about the nervous system already being overwhelmed by signals of threat and and the new traumatology all of this kind of flourishing information about how you're much better off establishing some kind of safety some kind of neuroceptive signal of safety before encountering inside of the therapeutic process the signals of danger if you can at all make that happen that's a great place to start so there are ways then that we look to ask what do you feel inside your body when we know that what we're going to feel inside the body is going to be at least not the bad bad stuff at least not the bad bad stuff and maybe even kind of like the good stuff how to walk a person's attention over to the good stuff to where the translation of that into the body is more or less assured to be good takes a little bit of time gets get you gotta you gotta roll up your sleeve and you gotta try it out it's a try kind of thing you know yeah there's a growth of skills that happens and a funny correlation between the growth of skills and the expectations of our clients we we often increase our ability to, to help at the same time as we end up with more challenged either clients or problems to solve with our clients the same clients as we evolve hey yep this is what it's like guys it's a learning process and it's a craft and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of experience and it takes a lot of engagement and it takes a lot of curiosity and it's a beautiful thing because it's not like a genzu knife it doesn't get dull it gets more interesting you get to contact more people over time however there are those windows right where it just feels like maybe maybe i'm not quite as sharp as i once was well i think i think what i would like you to hear me say is for that window of feeling fraudulent with this work where it was like i used to got it i ain't got it what happened to it i kind of lost it maybe you're actually integrating a next new piece that's going to then or you're looking for a next new piece that will help you deal with the new plateau that you've just helped yourself get to with that last i used to got it get it got it good well you know that's one of the kind of pitfalls where the sense of fraudulence comes up that I that I see you know like let's put aside let's put aside the sense of fraudulence like I'm a fraud <laughs> um, you're not a fraud I'm not a fraud we, we know that but but let's put aside like the characterological pieces of that right because of course many of us not all of us thank you dear listener I know some of you don't have this but some of us just have this we've had it our whole lives right like maybe we're on the autonomy side of things and the character structure kind of stuff of autonomy where you know we do the math problems differently we come up with the same correct answer at the end and yet by having a taken our own path maybe we're not exactly uh, maybe we didn't do it right you know maybe we kind of like cheated or something that's a autonomy function like you you try it out your own way and sometimes you end up feeling fraudulent because of that i have some of that i know that i do and it's helpful i will say it's very helpful to know that that's part of what's going on but otherwise i could just feel fraudulent all the time it's crazy i know some of you do too because i talk with you, some of you and guys i don't know i don't know what to do about that except 
okay, it's part of what it is that takes you to get through your day as you move on to the other great stuff that you do. And hopefully it doesn't bother you as much in the future. It doesn't bother me nearly as much as it did in the past. Sometimes I just have to work with it. Maybe maybe that's true too. And let's like just kind of like separate this, right? Because there are other reasons that you can come up with the feeling of being a fraud, fraudulent, that are more kind of character stuff. Like let's stick over here with the I feel fraudulent about doing and representing and kind of like applying my skills with my my individual clients, my SE skills, like that feel like this doesn't have the the ring of truth or I don't feel like confident in, in getting my intervention or my request across or I lose track of the sessions and I don't really know what's happening and I feel really awkward when people pay me at the end of that hour. You know, let's let's keep it just that focused because that's what we're doing here. Yeah. Okay, well, what are some, it's just like, I've thought about these a little bit in the last few days. What are some of the pitfalls that the places where that worry is more likely to come up? You know, um, for one way to do that, and the, the way I prefer, is to look at what are the places where you really don't see that? You know, what's the What's the kind of environment where people don't worry about being a fraud? You know, I kind of imagine that, I don't know, I don't know. I don't want to try to perceive into Peter Levine's psyche, but like, I can't imagine that he's still worried about being a fraud. Like, is this real? Like, I mean, no, he must be like, yeah, this is real. I bet he still maintains his curiosity about it all, but he must, I'm just now projecting. I have no idea, but you know, let's assume that folks with like really big track records and that you and I look up to as our teachers and the, you know, folks of influence and prestige and dynamism. I, I said to Diane Poole, one, Poole Heller one time, I saw her in the hall, I was like, you're a dynamo. She's like a total dynamo. Like we look up to these people with, um, they're kind of seasoned, you know, and let's assume that they, they don't have to, other than the characterological part, they don't have to sit there and wonder, is this stuff for real? You know, and part of that is because they've got that whole library of experience now. They're in the master class of just really being able to move in every which different direction with all different kinds of people. And because of that, I'd say that probably my biggest projection, because I kind of have this now too, it's like, there's a certain more or less guaranteed traction that you're going to see it. Like you're going to see some part of what makes SE special in your sessions. Like, you, you, you know, maybe you're not going to always have the perfect session and maybe you're not going to always have the magic session and probably it's not great to be trying to get the magic session all the time. That's not what it's about. But, it, but there's a certain kind of way that once you get enough traction in your skills and you can move fluidly in all kinds of different combinations with all kinds of different people and different parts of their stress response and such, you know, when you can kind of hook their attention or when you see like patterns resolving in their lives, in your clients' lives, like they come in and they say like consistently, like this is changing, this... 
it's not as hard to sleep or like I wasn't startling as much or it was easier to go to the grocery store, whatever, you know, or um, when in the moment, you know, you start, you're with clients on a regular basis and you feel them experience of themselves, feeling states pendulating and shifting or involuntary autonomic processes like, you know, self-protective motor plans or orientation response. Like when you see those things regularly happen because of you sitting with the person, <laughs> you start to feel like it's not so fraudulent. I mean, if I go long enough without having that, I think that's one thing. If you go long enough without having it, maybe the doubt, the kind of the critical doubt, like, is this, is this for real? Maybe that can still come in, but at least for me, but I'm on the doubter side, right? Like I just have that historically. So, um, that's a place of traction where you really have a, a sense, not that you're always going to be able to get exactly what the person needs and to make the very best, greatest session happen, but that you're in your combination going to do the best session with them that you can. And at the different levels of just helping this become something that's not as uncomfortable to come to so that it's maybe more likely that you'll come back again. Just being able to maybe expect less of yourself because you're maybe more pacing more accurately to the possibilities with that client. And it gives you more opportunity to see that the inclusion of SE style attention, that's a great place to worry less about whether or not it's fraudulent, whether or not you're a fraud. How, you know, that's that's cool somewhere out there is a place where you dear listener you could be having the sense of like well you know something might not make sense to me or i might not know exactly what to do next but in the general sense i feel that together you know with the participatory client i'm going to be able to help things generally improve in this way that I've been trained and learned how to do with this work. That, that, that's out there. People have that. People that you know have that. I have that at times. People, people that you've learned from have that. People that you've experienced it from have that. You may have had that at times. You might have that all the time. You might just sometimes imagine that somebody else gets to have that but you've not really tried on the idea that you could be headed that way. Like you're, you're this long into this podcast. Maybe you haven't listened to all the other episodes coming late. Hi, welcome. You're putting extra time into your work all the time. Let me guess. You're going to get better at this. If you're going to get better at this, why not just assume that given enough time and, and attention, you might get quite, quite grand, quite good. You know, well, if that traction is going to happen, if you're going to get that library of experience, you're going to have to get a lot of experience of it feeling like it's working, which is the, the opposite of what happens when you feel like you're a fraud. When you feel like you're a fraud, that doesn't really happen because it's working. <laughs> you know, when it's working, when your clients are coming in and saying, hey, things are changing for me, you don't, maybe you could be like, well, I didn't do anything. But that just kind of reinforces the intelligence of the organism. 
If you're seeing that kind of improvement in people, you can relax on the fraudulent question. So the fraudulent question comes more up when you're not seeing the feedback that says this is real, my work is valid. So you got to make sure you increase that feedback. That's that's where I'm going to go to here. You're you got to look for opportunities in ways to make sure that your feedback that you're getting isn't only things like or that come from maybe having a completely full client load that are are like just one after the next people who feel stuck in their lives. Like if you don't have at least a few clients that have some dynamic change process going on or some availability to change based on your interventions and your invitations, then then at some place, some some way, Friday night at 8 p.m., you need to find a client who's not having as hard a time as all of the other clients that you're working with that are feeling more or less stuck. Because if, if your client load it represents people who are more or less going to take a whole lot of specialization and, and time to tension that your skill level might not have in order to help them start to feel that unstuckness happen faster, then you're going to have to kind of like be with this for a while as you're building up those skills. In which case, you need to see it work somewhere. You need to ha have some success somewhere. So you need to make sure that you have at least some part of your clientele, including people that are kind of able to follow your requests, able to stay with their attention when you ask them what happens next, able to look around again if you say, okay, well, let's just take a break from that and, and maybe we'll just uh, let ourselves take another look around the room. Like you want somebody who's able and easy to go along with you on that so you see what it looks like when it works. Another place that we could kind of drop into the pitfall of worrying too much is if we compare ourselves too much for people who are really seasoned or to demo sessions or even even really sessions that happen during the training, you know, with our colleagues, because all of those sessions are rarefied experiences completely different to the extremely rarefied experience of a paying client coming in from the outside world who's probably more or less unfamiliar with what you're inviting them to do with probably more or less very little cultural or like personal experience exploring their somatic experience and you're inviting them into this it's it's a, a very different kind of thing than being inside of a training where there are so many people who are also learning and interested in the exact same thing and at any time know more far more and are far more invested than any client that we're likely to see coming in from their daily grind. In which case, we need to make sure that our comparison and our expectation for our sessions don't, don't try to match the different environment because we're actually in a very unique environment. We're one-on-one -on -one with somebody who we're, we're trying to find the amount of information and the relationship with this work and, and the things that impress upon them the value of joining with us and you particularly inside of this kind of investigation. 
again, that's going to take you some practice and you want some clients that aren't so challenging to get to be involved in and engaging with you. And no matter what, you can't expect yourself to have the skill base and the, the kind of pre preparatory attitude that comes from mastery where you can make truly kind of like grand or dramatic sessions happen because you can see into the future what this and that leads to based on your experience of having seen so many similar kinds of reactions and relationships to kind of the stress response and the patterns inside of it as you have before once you become truly experienced. So you'll have to get that experience and so you can't compare yourself to somebody who has that. So that's one pitfall that you could just completely avoid by saying, wow, I am where I am inside of this learning process. And then, you know, another, another worry place, another place where it becomes easier to have these fears of, you know, am I fraudulent with this? Am I not the real thing? Um, do I have a right to be doing this? If you've been in the training, I'm, I'm, I'm cheering you on that you do like you're human. This is human. This is basic human nature. You're learning how to support the proper neuroceptive cues. Yeah, there's some real sophistication with it, particularly in certain populations, but it's a very human thing in the end. We're not hooking people up to computers and we're not, we're not, we could, it'd be interesting. It is interesting. You've seen Peter Levine and White House do that sometimes, David Whitehouse. The, really wonderful, but it's not what we've had to do because this is a very human human kind of thing. You're human. You can get really good at this, but you can't do it in isolation. One of the one of the challenging places is when we try to learn this in isolation or without seeing the process work or feeling the process work, like resonating with what it's like when our organisms come more into self-regulation. And to be able to internalize that signal more for ourselves, as well as be able to kind of be available, not to input it into other people, although there is a certain kind of broadcast perspective that comes along with the fact that as you become more self-regulating, you help other people kind of feel that opportunity themselves. But more in the sense that as you're working with people, you can feel your own self-regulation stay more available and you can be more flexible in your reactions to people rather than more of your own reactions so that in fact you can attune to their needs more accurately they have more aggression in their voice you might be freer in your attention the more you have felt your own self-regulation inside of this work in order to be able to put a little bit more aggression in your own voice at the more or less correct attitude and amplitude that gives that person, your client, the feeling that their behavior here makes sense and it's okay for them to have that aggression in their voice. And that comes more from you having the flexibility to express yourself differently than your own organism would likely let you do if you are in fact in yourself more or less kind of stuck in your own responses and and not really kind of having that more flexible nervous system tone, which comes from kind of being in the field and getting more work and and letting yourself be your own somatic explorer, you know, and and kind of 
seeing it, seeing that it's, that it's true. Like our organisms, like our bodies, our, our beings, like they really do have a lot more movement that they want to make than, than our culture and, and most of us personally ever give enough um, allowance or credibility to. And the more we're able to learn how to be with those and participate with those and maybe even enhance those with our attention at times, you know, it's like a great window into well-being because our bodies are literally waiting for that quality of attention. So working in isolation is a place where the, the fraudulent feeling can really come up and then you get into a group of other people who are kind of getting certain kinds of improvements and hits off of this and it, it can take away some of the worry that you're fraudulent. So try not to do it all in isolation, right? Um, try to see it sometimes, at least often enough. Feel it sometimes, at least often enough. Yeah, you know, there's, there's right inside of that, there's a kind of a hit on another pitfall of, of why we might not see it working in our sessions and why it might feel more fraudulent. And it's not, it's not at all fair because there would be other subcategories like this, but, but just to mention, it's not fair because I'm not going to be exhaustive and find all the other subcategories, but there's a few, like if we over control a session, there's a few to mention little subcategories. If we over control sessions, if we ask too many questions or we press for answers or we, we, we try to minimize activation, we, we try to kind of constantly always stabilize, you know, activation states. If we over control sessions, we're never going to see it, you know, that kind of magic it that we all go like, oh, that's somatic experiencing. That's that involuntary sense of kind of like, participatory experience with the involuntary state you know it's like that's that's one part of what we're going for um it's not needing to happen all the time but it but it matters you know it feels like i i, I was thinking today about a, 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 a session in scottsdale arizona years ago with a really lovely woman that i think i only sat with one time but we were sitting there and she just started to report well, you know, we did the tracking, this, that, the other thing. And then eventually she reported this kind of flow thing happening. And, you know, that doesn't happen in my sessions all the time, guys. Like, no way. But it did happen in this one session, and it does happen in others. And in this one session in Scottsdale years ago, this flow was happening, and she kind of like opened her eyes and looked at me, and she's like, what is this? And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's so remarkable that that feeling of like the the involuntary sense of this is somehow uh, it's just remarkable okay well it's never going to come forward if the environment is a kind of over controlled environment there are certainly times when we need to really direct people's attention and we really need to control the session space and really need to tell people exactly what to do particularly in that, as Stephen Hoskinson would name, that phase one kind of category of people being, their nervous system state being kind of out of control, what I would think of is like just too, too noisy. You know, you got to give something to structure, something to hold on to, some structure for success there, otherwise like pinging off into the next chaos. And at the same time, somewhere once that's not the case, if 
if there's enough stability and enough, um, yeah, stability in the system, enough kind of contact, enough knowledge on your part that nothing really bad's going to happen if we kind of allow more freedom and less direction or less control or less redirection, we're going to just kind of kind of build up the energy states more sometimes or let them flow more or give it more space, whatever. We might just be less controlling. That's a subcategory where I think people sometimes end up feeling fraudulent, like the work doesn't work. And I think it's partly because they're asking too many questions, which isn't to say to ask no questions. It's just maybe to ask questions that help lead the attention in toward a direction where you can be more permissive, where a client is more fluent in what you're talking about. So pet peeve there. There are other subcategories of like places where we just do these little pitfalls, but let's, let's, let's say that's enough. Isn't that enough? Yes, twig, it's enough. Yeah, it's enough of all the reasons and rationales of how this happens. And that's a bit on, you know, what you can do in your professional space to try to get more of the, the success of the work that will take away the feeling of feeling fraudulent. And I'll just reinforce that list, but add a few others because I actually wrote a list this time. So one of them is, is you can just remember to relax. You know, you don't want to expect the magic session from all your sessions or even any of your sessions if you're just on the up and coming learning how to do this, how to kind of guide attention and see what's clinically relevant. You're just kind of getting your feet wet, getting your, getting your strokes, you know, don't, don't pressure yourself too much relax a little bit. It'll make you more fluent and fluid yourself when you're helping people be more spontaneous in your office. Okay. Um, also, you know, if you find yourself with the fraudulent worry, like I say, talk it out with a friend. Like I say, we've got lots of friends in this work. There are great people in this community. Find a friend that you feel confident and comfortable saying what you feel about what you don't understand or what confuses you or where you get stuck. Yeah. Also, you know, one of the major things in here is just that the contract can often be off between you and what your client expects, what you expect, what you two are trying to do. And sometimes it's just the right thing to take the opportunity to recontract for a different style of session or some, some change that needs to happen so you have more structure on trying to maintain a, quote, SE style session. That's one thing. Contracting is a big thing that if you're not in the same room, you're not going to get to go where that feeling goes. This is the real thing. Yeah. Um, you can get easier clients. It's really true. When you're learning, it's important to work with folks that you can kind of get some traction, get some uh, viability, hook their attention. Yeah. I'd say you, and this is what I used to do a lot. I used to watch demo sessions of Peter or Steve, Stephen Hoskinson, Peter. I had a few from Diane Puller. I had one set from Raja Selvman. Um, there's probably lots of other demos out there now. Like I used to watch demos and just be like, see, somebody else can do it. Like I, I must be able to do some part of that too better than I'm already doing. So I would kind of use my time for that. So you could, you could do that too. Or you could reread some of the science behind what we're talking about, right? Pick up some Bob Scare or um, Babeth Rothschild, you know, um, Get some 
get some of the science behind this that says, hey, like there's a reason that we pay attention and that the body communicates between the brain and the body in this kind of way that makes this valid. Um, you know, just strengthen that up. Uh, you could get your own sessions so that you feel lighter, you know, and more fluid, both in your own self and not so worried if it's not working so quickly, but also so you can kind of grab their attention a little bit better because you're not so stuck in your own responses, but you've got more flexibility for responding to who they are. Yeah, and um, know that that uh, these uh, feelings of fraudulent, like you're not the only one, you're not the only one. And if and if you're one of those people out there that has never had it, I hope you'll write me a letter and tell me just what that feels like. Because I think a lot of us have wondered, is this real? And of course, it's a new thing we're introducing or getting involved in ourselves. And and along that way, there's a, there's a lot of balancing to be done between what we thought we knew about how we feel better and what um, actually kind of seems to be helping. Come into our senses. Seems to seems to really be helping. Okay, my friends. This has been Twig, and I wish you very good out there in that big wide world of yours. Bye bye now. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Here's a twist on the tracking twig moment. Actually, I'll tell you about it in a little email I got from a friend of mine, Abby Blakesley. You guys know a name, Abby Blakesley. You got to check her out. She's an SE faculty, and her and Dave Berger, another SE faculty, are doing their body work and somatic education workshop in Los Angeles, California, November 13th to the 16th. I got this email from Abby yesterday, who I, I'm fond of, so I wrote back and I said, this looks awesome. I wish you the best. And she wrote back and said, hey, well, if you know anybody who's interested, let them know about it. Well, I don't know if you're an interested listener, but you might be, and you could find out about it by going to my website, because <laughs> that's where I know I can leave a link to it, liberationispossible.org backslash SE Reflections. Look for episode 60, and I'll have a link to Abby's thing. And I'll have a little video from uh, from uh, from the making of, of this podcast, episode 60. Okay, take good care. Ciao.